Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, the task at hand today that I would like to um, try to tackle is to share with you from the word of the Lord. And as we, as we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I, I really do like to pray. And I think that I want to pray also for anyone here that needs special prayer. We're not going to embarrass you, but the Lord knows our request before we even ask it. But if you have a special prayer, need, will you please raise your hand? I have uh, my hand up, too. It's not just as a demonstration. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. May the Lord respond to our prayers. Father, we thank you. You are truly merciful and kind. You are truly all-powerful, gracious in all your ways. Yet you are just judge. I pray, Lord, that each of these requests, which are well known to you because nothing is hidden from your sight even the intent and motive of our hearts are not hidden from you lord i pray that you will bring your will about that you will respond to our request according to your will we know that it's not your will that any should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth so we pray for those family members that are astray at this time we know that you are the Lord who heals us. We pray for those who need physical healing at this time. Oh, Lord, oh, merciful God, touch them. Even members of this congregation, touch them, Lord. Let them know your love and your compassion and your healing touch. We pray for those that need wisdom. You are the teleoetz. You are the wonderful counselor. I pray, Lord, you'll grant wisdom, wisdom in decision-making that will make good decisions that further your kingdom and allow us to be more vessels for you in these last days. Lord, I pray for those that have prodigals at this time, that you will bring in the prodigals, the sons and the daughters that were raised in your ways but have gone astray. Lord, lead them back through your tender cords of mercy. Let them know you afresh and anew with a heart that's enraptured with your love and your grace and your compassion. Lord, we also pray for what's happening in our country. We lift up the leaders as your word commands us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we pray for all those who are in authority. So we lift up those that are making decisions that impact our lives whether it be in Washington, D.C., or here in Oklahoma City, or whichever state we are a part of, Lord, that you will guide and direct. Lord, we also pray for Yerushalayim, for Jerusalem, as your word says, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. All of you pray for the peace, the well-being of Jerusalem. We pray for Israel. We pray for the government in Israel. We pray, Lord, that you will lead Israel through the crisis it's going through now, the political crisis. And Lord, even as Yaakov, Jacob wrestled with the Malach, the angel, Lord, I pray that at the end of this crisis, there'll be great blessing to come upon Israel. Lord, thank you for each person here. Thank you for hearing our request and responding according to your will. In Yeshua's name, according to his merit, amen. God, grant our request here today. If you have scriptures like to read a passage from Daniel chapter 12 to start off today. Today we're going to talk about a, a, quite a bit about Daniel. How many are familiar with Daniel? Well, most of us. <laughs> 
Daniel remains a common name, uh, not only in the English language, but in the Hebrew language, in the Russian language, in the Spanish language. Uh, well, you name the language, and Daniel's probably a common name in that language. But Daniel, the book of Daniel is an interesting book uh, with its 12 chapters. A good section of the book of Daniel is actually written, the original text is in Aramaic. Not all of it, but a good part of it. In Daniel chapter 12, we're going to read three verses here, or four verses. Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And then also, uh, just for brevity's sake, we're going to skip ahead to Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. And initially, I'm going to be reading from the complete Jewish Bible version. And then the scriptures after this will be from the New King James Version. So if you uh, are looking at them and they look a little different than yours, I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible version to begin with. Daniel chapter 12, beginning with verse 8. I heard this, but I couldn't understand what it meant. So I asked, Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? But he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will purify, cleanse, and refine themselves. But the wicked will keep on acting wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those with discernment will understand. And now in verse 13, But you go your way until the end comes. Then you will rest and rise for your reward at the end of days. I don't know how that scripture strikes you, and in some ways I wish we could just read the whole book of Daniel, just like we read uh, the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur, afternoon, etc., and a book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes at other times, and if you have a chance, you might read through Daniel. But this strikes me strongly. First of all, you probably notice it talks about the last days. How many of you think we're in the last days right now? <laughs> I certainly do. I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the apostles, the shlichim of the Lord, the followers of the Lord, the original ones, they believed it was the last days 2,000 years ago. So what does that mean for us now? It's the last days 2,000 years later. But these words from the final chapter of what I would call an amazing book, the book of Daniel, uh, they really should get our attention. Now, if you ask Messianic believers, and I have done this, if you ask Messianic believers who their favorite Bible character might be, and there are many outstanding prospects in the Scripture, but if you ask them who's their favorite Bible character, I have yet to find one person that has told me right away, Daniel. Now, again, there are many possibilities but I have yet to have a single person tell me that their favorite Bible character is Daniel. That's not a put down on Daniel because there are many great Bible characters when you think about it in Scripture. And, and among Messianic believers, most will, will tend to go, go towards the Brit Chadashah, towards the New Covenant, and some of the, the apostles, etc., and rightfully so. But it's not just Messianic believers. In fact, the late Israeli rabbi... His name, uh, some of you may have heard of him. I've read quite a bit of his stuff. Adin Steinsaltz. Adin Steinsaltz. He wrote many things. He was not a believer. He was an Israeli messianic. Most of his writings were in Hebrew. Uh, he has a, class, a classic book that was translated to English. And the name of his book, Adin, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, who's uh, gone on to his eternal reward, the name of his book was Biblical Images... Men and women of the book. The book here refers to what? The Bible or the Tanakh, really, because he didn't really believe in the Brit Hadashah. And in that book, which I have at home, Rabbi Steinsaltz offered uh, 25 brief chapters covering 25 different people that are introduced in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And you probably guessed it, he didn't mention Daniel among the 25. So my little uh, time of asking people who's your favorite uh, Messianic believers, who's your favorite uh, personage in, in the Scripture, no one has ever told me Daniel, though I'm sure there are some. Uh, well, good company with Rabbi Steinsaltz. 
because he doesn't mention Daniel either among the 25 that he does a chapter on in their lives. So that brings us to this question. Most of us can answer some of this, but who was Daniel? Who was this guy, Daniel? And Scripture is not silent about some of his background. For example, we do know, uh, based upon uh, scriptural references, which I won't belabor with you, but you can check this out, that Daniel was from a noble, kind of an upper-class Judean family, a family that lived in Judah, in Yehuda, in Judea, as we call it in English. And he was taken into captivity at a young age. He was taken into captivity at a young age. By, and, you know, at, at this time, the first the Assyrians came in, and then the Babylonians. Well, he was taken into captivity during the time of the Babylonians. And again, there's this overflow between these two, uh, you know, they're warring against each other. And actually, the Babylonians eventually swallowed up the Assyrians way off in the distant land and then came in, and the Babylonians were able to successfully take over Jerusalem, which the Assyrians never could. So he was taken into captivity. He was a young person at that time. We're not told his exact age, but it was at a young age that he was taken into captivity. And his captors, the ones that took him, they saw something in this guy. And some of you are parents, so you, you, you look and you see something in your children. You see certain traits that you want to develop in them. I know with our three children, they're very different, all their traits. Our oldest son was extremely athletic, but could care less about sports. A younger son loved sports, but he wasn't that athletic. <laughs> and we won't talk about the third one. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, the captors saw something in this young man or this young person, Daniel, and they began to train this man. Young person is really a better term. And so they trained him. Scripture tells us they trained him for three years. They trained him vigorously for three years, and they trained him in what might be called the wisdom of the Chaldeans. Now, it tells us, the scripture tells us, uh, almost directly it tells us that at this time, Daniel, this young captive, Daniel grew in wisdom and favor among the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Reminds me of a passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, describing Yeshua as a young person. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, Yeshua increased in wisdom and stature. And boy, is the next one important for us, isn't it? And in favor with God and man, that we would walk in the favor of the Lord. And I pray that for all of us, that our lives will be within the realm of the Lord's favor that we would do what's pleasing in his sight. We would speak what's pleasing to him. The intents and the motives of our heart would be pleasing to him because those things are not hidden to him. And even as Daniel grew in wisdom and favor in, a, in, a, in the, the land of his captors, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, we also have this parallel idea, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, about Yeshua, how he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And at that time, Yeshua was underneath the authority of the Romans. After all, the cause of Yeshua's birth in Bethlehem was a, he had to fulfill an obligation by the authorities for a census for the descendants of David. And Bethlehem's the city of David. Well, as you read the book of Daniel, you study his life, eventually Daniel was elevated. He was elevated to be head. He was raised initially with three solid years in the Chaldean wisdom. Well, God, blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't the Lord wonderful? He can do things that we can't even imagine. In fact, he can do them. He does things. And God raised up Daniel. He elevated Daniel to be, as the book of Daniel points out, to be head over all the wise men of Babylon. Eventually, Daniel, through the, as, as Carl was alluded to, some of the ups and downs of life, and man, he had some ups and downs. You think yours are bad? <laughs> Could I mention lion's dens? Anybody remember lion's den? Anybody been actually thrown into a lion's den? I hope not. But, uh, but Daniel was. 
And he survived. He refused to be unfaithful to his God. And there maybe is the key for us as Messianic believers, that we are steadfast, immovable, immovable, to quote 1 Corinthians, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our, our labor, our efforts in the Lord, they're not in vain. Daniel was elevated to be head over all the wise men of Babylon. So this young person that was taken, you know, scapped up from his own country and from his own people and his own language and his own customs, he ends up being over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel, the scripture tells us, Daniel was, was gifted with what we might call spiritual giftings. He's often referred to in Hebrew thinking as a seer. He was, he's, he's referred to someone who was able to interpret dreams, and not just interpret dreams like some weird stuff that happens nowadays, but really spiritually interpret dreams because of the hand of God on him and to bring the accurate interpretation which plays well in his life, as many of you are probably aware. But what made Daniel into Daniel? What made Daniel into Daniel? All these things were factors, but what made Daniel into Daniel? And he's one of these unique characters in Scripture, which reminds me, uh, really surprises me why Rabbi Adin Steinsalz didn't include Daniel in his 25 people of the Tanakh that he does biographies on. But what made Daniel into Daniel, of whom the Bible really has nothing bad to say about this guy? No, no faults to point out about him. What made Daniel into Daniel? I'd like to say several things about that because it may surprise you to realize because Daniel seems so far away from us, so many years in the past, centuries in the past, so far away geographically, etc. But some of the very things that helped Daniel become the Daniel that we read of in Scripture to become what, what, what we might call a, an empowered servant of the Lord... Some of those very things, guess what? They're actually happening in your life and mine. Some of the things that caused him to be able to grow and to become all that God wanted him to be are happening in our life. For example, Daniel faced personal adversity. I mean, think about it, being taken away as a young person, away from everything familiar to you. And not taken away on in a, in a nice uh, royal coach with uh, fine dining on the way. No, taken away as a captive to a strange people. And just the name of Nebuchadnezzar during his time was that people shuddered when they heard the name Nebuchadnezzar. He was known for his cruelty, his barbarism. And, and Daniel and, and those that came at that time, some with Nebuchadnezzar, some before, some a little bit after, but those that were taken into exile at that time. What a challenge. What personal adversity that was. Do you think your life's tough? What personal adversity he faced. And also, he had physical challenges. He's taken as a young man, and, and there he's taken away to, to people that he doesn't even know their language, their customs. He was a noble come from a noble family in, in, in Judea, in Yehuda. He doesn't know their language and customs, and he has to go through all of that, those physical challenges. And he's a young person, too, and we know not everyone's nice to young people. We need to be extremely kind, compassionate, and exemplary to young people to show them the goodness of Yeshua in our lives so they will want to also follow. Daniel had to do something else that's really difficult at times. He had to deal with authority and its laws and decrees. This plays very strongly in the book of Daniel. They, they were pagan authorities. Their decrees weren't based upon what, what the Bible says to use our, our phraseology. They were pagan authorities where, you know, the king, in essence, was... was um, looked at as a god, was worshipped as a god. And that's the kind of society he ended up in. And yet, he also, as I mentioned the word society, there he was placed from a society where it had a temple that was raised, R-A-Z-E-D, raised by Nebuchadnezzar's mob. He ends up going to a place where, yes, there are temples, but they're all idol temples. They're all temples to idols, and they're worshiping all kinds of things. 
And there he is thrown into that society. society. So he had to live in a society that was not in sync with what we would call the ways of God. And you know, I fear to say this, but we are increasingly seeing that in our society. In my opinion, just increasingly wedging its way away from the ways of God. And hopefully that revival will continue to come because it is happening little by little. Yet there's one particular thing that I want to point out. Sure, he had to deal with, you know, personal adversity and personal challenges. And sure, he had to deal with authority and the decrees of pagan authority. And sure, he was placed into a society that wasn't in sync with the, what we call scriptural norms nowadays. But there was something about Daniel that is mentioned in the book of Daniel. And that, that characteristic that he had, this one particular trait pops up continuously in the book of Daniel. It's actually named in one place. That trait was this, Daniel was faithful. Daniel was faithful. And you can mark a faithful person to the Lord They're going to have maybe the ups and downs, maybe go through even things like this, but that person that's faithful to the Lord before the eyes of the Lord, that person's going to be blessed. Ultimately, there will be blessing on that person. And Daniel was faithful. And you know, even his adversaries in the other society, the Chaldean society, even his adversaries recognize, they recognize his faithfulness. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, it states this. The governors and satraps is another form of administrative government. The governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. You know what it says? But they could find no charge or fault. Not only was he faithful, and when a person's faithful and they walk in increasing faithfulness before God, they become increasingly blameless. The governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. What a testimony. How many believe that's a great testimony about a person? Considering all the adversity he passed through from a young age, what a testimony. And that testimony comes from who? The government and the satraps of the the heathen nation he's part of now, that he's been thrown in the midst of. Now, Daniel's faithfulness, his faithfulness was exhibited as he maintained his godly ways while interacting with what we might describe as a godless people (laughs) in what we might describe as a godless society. Guess who stands in contrast? A person like Daniel who's faithful to God, yet he's in the middle of a godless people and a godless society, and there he is. It was God's plan to put him there, and what an important plan that is. Unless we think that only applied to Daniel at his time, I think the new covenant makes it abundantly clear that we too as believers, if you're a true follower of the Lord, you have the same type of thing happening in your life. For example, listen to this passage in First Yohanan, First John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Many of you can even quote this passage. But notice that it begins with a commandment, a new covenant commandment, one of over a thousand that are found in the New Testament. It begins with this commandment, do not love the world or the things in the world. And many of us, and I can raise my hand on this, we found that when we put our affections in the wrong places in this life, upon things, politics, you name it, we put our affections in the wrong place it doesn't go well for us. There's this commandment, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then it goes forward and says this, which I would suggest is a stark statement. It says, if anyone loves the world, do you see what it says next? The love of the Father is not in him. What do we say here? And I'm so glad we do it. Carl did a wonderful job this morning. 
we say, and you shall love the Lord your God with half of your heart, half of your soul, and a quarter of your strength. For some of us, that describes our spiritual life. It shouldn't. For all that is, if anyone loves the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't have div- divided internal affections. Our affections must be set upon the Lord. It continues, verse 16 of 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. In other words, it's a sinking ship. The world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You're not going to sink with that ship if you're doing the will of God. You won't sink with that ship. It is a sinking ship. And our call now is to call as many as we can in the name of the Lord to repent, to repent, to repent and turn to God. And how blessed an event it was last Sunday at the immersion. I see some of you, I'm so, so thrilled for you. Some of you took steps of immersion and made a public testimony of your faith in our Lord in the midst of what is an increasingly decadent society around us. We stand as lights in the middle of that. And we should be thankful because it's much, much better to be light in the midst of darkness than darkness among other darkness. Now, Daniel's faithfulness is seen in many ways in the book of Daniel. One of the things that stands out most of us is prayer life. <laughs> do you have a prayer life? Or do you say a prayer every now and then? But do you have a prayer life? Do you have a time where you actually give some time alone to the Lord and you pray? Daniel had that. The scripture testifies of and tells us some interesting thing. Daniel 6 explains that Daniel refused to yield to the king's decree, which called for all the people to worship the king. He refused. He didn't uh, get a, out a tambourine and make a big deal about it. But here's what happened. What Daniel did instead is mentioned in Daniel 6 verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing or decree was signed, that decree was, and it was the governors and satraps who admitted to his faithfulness, they were trying to find some way to, to ensnare Daniel and bring him down. Do you know people will try to bring you down? They were trying to bring him down, and they got the king to agree to a law that whoever didn't bow down to the king, more or less, uh, would be liable, guilty. And the penalty was a severe penalty. <laughs> it wasn't a slap on the wrist. It was a severe penalty. And when this decree was passed, the, the, the governor agrees to it, the king agrees to it. Daniel finds out about it. That's what we're reading in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing of the decree was signed, it's official. You know what he did? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's a great example for us. He went home. He didn't plow himself into the middle of crowds and talk. He went home. And you know where else he went? He went home spiritually. And he sought his heavenly father. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing or decree was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. So he importuned in prayer. He, he persevered in prayer three times of the day, which was by that time was the custom of the Jewish people, morning, afternoon, and evening. He prayed three times that day, and it says, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God. So there he, there's this decree he knows he cannot follow, and what does he do? Lord, thank you. Thank you. He knew God is faithful. And he gave thanks before his God and noticed this next thing, as was his custom since his early days. Parents, be sure you're instilling into your children the right customs. Whoever instilled this into Daniel, way back when, there he is as a grown-up 
doing the right thing. He, he, three times that day he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as was his custom since his early days. It is a good thing that we pray over our children here with the talit. To me, it's one of the highlights of the whole service. See the children coming there. And, and kudos. And uh, it's great that there are parents that actually take the extra effort to make sure their children are under that talit. Sometimes it's not easy when you're trying to herd little children. I've heard of herding cats and other things, but maybe it's not quite that. But he, he prayed three times a day. He gave thanks, as was his custom there. And, you know, we're, we're encouraged in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and in many other verses to pray and to continue to pray. Rav Shaul said to pray without ceasing, but Luke 18, 1 does point that out. Now, Daniel knew deep within himself something else. And he spoke about it often. The recorded words of Daniel speak of this one thing often. You can find it highlighted. Even though a good section of Daniel's in Aramaic, you can still see it. But he, he knew deep within himself what is said in the Hebrew language is machuto olami. That means his kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. He, he was in the middle of temporal stuff among the Chaldeans, but he had his eyes of his heart and mind fixed upon that which is eternal. Friends, it's a good thing for us to make sure we don't lose sight of eternity, of the eternal values that we are to live in. And notice these prophetic words then in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I love these, these passages. I was watching in the night visions. In other words, I was attuned to the Lord. Are you attuned to the Lord? I was watching the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Then he came, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom. Did you notice it said dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And then it continues and says, notice this, his dominion is a what? An everlasting dominion. The contrast here is pretty stark. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar might be ruined for a little while, but Nebuchadnezzar ends up grazing in the grass and long gone after certain numbers of years. But when it comes to the king of kings and lord of lords, we're talking about an everlasting kingdom. His, his throne is not shaken. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His kingdom endures forever. And that's what this says. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion. He's not talking about people like Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking about the Lord of hosts, Adonai Tzvaot. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed, neither can it be destroyed. Just think, go through your card catalog of, of, of mankind's history and how many kingdoms have been destroyed over the years. One rises up and they're gone. Another one rises up and they're gone. Another one bites the dust. And they're gone. Not so with the kingdom of the Lord. And that's where we should be banking our lives, into that eternal kingdom. He's no fool that, that doesn't give up the, the things of eternity. That's a wise person that really invests into the eternal premises and promises of the Lord. So like Daniel's prophetic statements about the eternal kingdom, Isaiah also prophesied something. I've always loved this passage. It's Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. It begins in Hebrew, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given. Notice it says a yelled, which is actually a male child. And then it says a ben, a son, referring to the same child. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And what a, what a son this is. Listen to what it says. And the government will be upon his shoulder. The misra, the government, will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice the next verse, please, verse 7. 
of the increase of his government. Notice it doesn't say the decrease. It speaks of increase of his government, of the increase of his government. If you read the book of Revelation, when you get to the final scenes in the book of Revelation, you see throngs and myriads of myriads of people, and it says from every nation and every tongue. What are they doing? No, they're not getting French fries at McDonald's. They are worshiping the king of kings. They are worshiping the one, the lamb who was slain, who is risen. They're worshiping the king of kings. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, a slightly different uh, reckoning in the Hebrew numbering. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I can tell you, part of my testimony is, that when the Lord came into my life, when he pulled me out of what he pulled me, the thing that I really valued the most was peace. Peace. What's it, what's it say? It's mentioned in Isaiah also, and it's also part of the hymn that we, read, uh, that we sing, uh, Peace Like a River. How many of you have heard that saying before, Peace Like a River? Yeah. How many of you have experienced deepened measures of peace in your life deep inside because of what Yeshua did for you and your trust in him? Peace flows. Where turmoil and the raging seas were, he speaks peace. I'm so thankful for him because he's called, as it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he's called Sar Shalom, the prince, the minister of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, so he's a descendant of David, and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward. And then there's this next statement in the English. How long? Forever, even forever. My friends here today, if you are not connecting to your Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, you're missing it. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that you, you must reckon with, Yeshua the Messiah. And we learn very quickly as we read through the Brit Hadashah and the New Covenant, we learn some of the truths concerning Yeshua the Messiah. We learn these things, though, that he's king of kings, he's lord of lords, and that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. I really like 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Rabbi Shaul, Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, the Parush, he wrote this. Let's read it together. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you please bear with me? Let's read that again, and may it sink deep into us. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Now recall what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says. It says, we see Yeshua, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, <laughs> might taste death for everyone. He paid your debt of sin. His suffering involves you. He gave his life for you. That's what he did. And you had been the only one. And it took many days thinking about this. But his nature and his character prove this to be a true statement. If you or me, if we had been the only one, his nature and character, he still would have laid his life down. That's who he is, our Messiah. He's also the risen one. He's risen from the dead. He's seated on his throne. He's the judge. <laughs> he's the lawgiver. And as I mentioned, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And it's no surprising that the new covenant, when you carefully parse the new covenant, look at all that the new covenant says, it speaks of the kingdom of God hundreds of times. Hundreds. Just in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
They're called the synoptic gospels. John is not part of the synoptic gospels. But just in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom of God, sometimes it's termed the kingdom of heaven, is mentioned 121 times. Do you think there's a point to that? (laughs) We need to be kingdom-oriented in our thinking, in our ways, in our actions, in our intentions, in our motives, in our giving, in how we expend our energies. Kingdom-motivated. Yes, there is an eternal king, and his name is Yeshua. And through faith in Yeshua, through him, we come under his blameless authority. Do you know he's not a sinner? (laughs) Do you know that he's good? He's merciful? He's kind? How many of you can say that the Lord's been good and merciful and kind to you? I can. It's not only in the past tense. I believe he's still doing it. Hallelujah. That to the very end, it says, then Psalm 23 ends and says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But how does Psalm 23 begin? It begins with this. The Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you want those results? Surely goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Well, make him your shepherd. Every area of your life, hold nothing back. He's worthy of it all. Now, I want to conclude today by sharing with you several statements that we read in the New Covenant about kingdom. Now, Yeshua had said in Matthew 28, verse 18, and I read this out at the immersion service at uh, Lake Arcadia. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, Notice the first word. All authority has been given to me. Notice where? In heaven and in earth. And as far as I know, maybe I'm ignorant, but as far as I know, that, that covers it all right there. The heaven and the earth to me covers it all. (laughs) And Yeshua came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and and on earth. And it goes forward from there. And since we're referring so much now to the kingdom at the end of this message, I want to share with you just quickly 10 passages of scripture from the new covenant that speak of the kingdom. And may these sink into us because there's 121 just in the first three gospels and there's hundreds more that go with it. But I'm just going to have mercy on you today. I'm only going to share 10. How's that? And do it quickly. But passage number one concerning the kingdom that we read in the New Covenant is this. Matatiao, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent. And what else does he say? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All people must repent. If your life is not one that doesn't involve some repentance, some changing of your ways, some teshuvah, re-examine and see because we all need to walk with a repentant attitude towards the Lord. That's not a false humility kind of walk. That's a reality walk, spiritual reality. There are times when we say things we shouldn't say that we need to make sure we don't continue to do that. There are times we do things that we shouldn't do. We need to make sure we stop doing those things. And that process of stopping those things, we call it teshuvah, repentance, metanoia. So turn from, we we have to repent and turn from our evil ways. It's just, just how it is. If we do that, we'll enter more fully into what God's kingdom rule will be in our life. And here's a second passage. John chapter 3, verse 3. Yeshua answered and said to him, him here is Nicodemus. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? So people trying to talk about the kingdom of God and not really born again anew with with living faith in the Lord, what can they really perceive about it? Only from a distance, through a glass darkly, will they get anything. But when a person's born again, the things of the kingdom begin to open up to that person. When you read the scripture then, because a person that's born again will be praying and will be reading the scripture and growing in the grace of God. But the the things of the kingdom will pop out. So, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here's a third one. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 32. And for a long time in my life, I was camped on this verse. <laughs> just pondering it. Never really spoke so much about it here, but just something I was personally meditating on. Luke 12, verse 32. I like how it starts. It says, do not fear. How often does fear hinder us? It's all kinds of fear. Uh, we have all kinds of fears that we deal with sometimes. Fear, fear of the present, fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of spiders, fear. I don't want to say a whole lot because people will get fearful. <laughs> but the, the scripture, and it's a command, it says, do not fear. And then I love how it says little flock. It's a term of endearment. It doesn't say, do not fear, you dirty old sheep. You rebellious, ignorant sheep. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, do not fear, little flock. And then it describes the heart of God. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to allow you to come under his rule and to be led by his spirit in kingdom matters. So there's no reason to be bound by fear. Let me, a corollary passage is John 16, verse 33, where it says, Yeshua says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, <laughs> you will have tribulation. How many think that's true? In the world, you will have tribulation. Yes, you will. But then Yeshua said, he told them some of the last things he said to them in John chapter 16. He said, but be of good cheer. Some translations say, be of good courage, be of good cheer. And then he says this, I have overcome the world, and we are in him. We're more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors through him who loves us. Passage number four. Many of you can repeat this to me. You know it by heart. But may it sink in because this is a powerful passage. Matthew 6, verse 33. It's a passage that speaks of priority and activity. But seek first the kingdom of God. Will it work if the passage is but seek second? Seek third? Seek whenever you please. Seek whatever's comfortable to you, whenever you like. Does all that work? No, it doesn't. Again, it is also a commandment. But seek first the kingdom of God. But don't forget the next part. And his righteousness... And all these things shall be added to you. And what was he talking about in that context? He was talking about clothing. He was talking about all the stuff that we might be concerned about. So living on each day under Messiah, Yeshua's authority, and being led by his spirit and doing what's right in his sight should be our highest priority in life, not somewhere down the list. If we're going to say he's our Lord, well, let's treat him like he is the Lord of our life. Number six. Now, let me do number five. How's this? Number five, John 18, 36. Yeshua answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Judeans. But now my kingdom is not from here. And we should be careful not to confuse the ways and the values of this fallen world with the ways and the values of the kingdom of God, of his eternal kingdom. There's sometimes they're very disparate. The ways and the, and the, the values of the world system we live in sometimes far away from kingdom values. Am I the only one that's noticed that nowadays? Far away. Sure, we're in a battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. But we are guaranteed because of Yeshua, who has conquered it all, our conquering Messiah. We're guaranteed a victory as we abide in him and we trust in him day by day. We're guaranteed victory. And that brings me to number six, Romans 14, verse 17. This is a tough one here because we're about to go to Oneg. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Notice the relationship of the Holy Spirit with the kingdom. Holy Spirit and the kingdom, they're bosom buddies, if you will. 
But the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Sometimes we can get this opposite. We can think that that's what the kingdom of God's all about. But it's not. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And these are qualities. These qualities, they're part of our kingdom inheritance, righteousness, peace and joy. That's part of our kingdom inheritance. If we were left to our own devices and we continue following our own ways, the way that leads to death that seems right in the eyes of men, these things would not be our inheritance. But if we will serve the Lord and be faithful in his kingdom pursuits, his kingdom endeavors, what he gives us to do, righteousness, peace, and joy will be part of it in the Holy Spirit. And here's number seven. This is the toughest one on the list. It's also the longest. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. And, you know, as is so often the case with Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, he asks so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. You read the book of Romans, there are question after question. But here's what he says. Do you not know that the, un- that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's questioning, don't you realize this? The unrighteous, they're not going to inherit the kingdom. Don't, and by the way, we did not be fooled by this. He continues, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I get the sense as he was writing this, he could have probably kept going. This is one of his lists. There are many Pauline lists, lists that he does in his writings. And he continues, though, thankfully in verse 11, and such were some of you. Notice the past tense verb. And such were some of you. Now, if these things are in the past in your life, hallelujah. If they're in the past in our lives, hallelujah. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua and by the Spirit of our God. Man, that gives every human being you've ever met hope. That hope is in Yeshua, who's our living hope. Every one of us has hope. Maybe we're found somewhere on this list, and maybe more than one place on this list. Maybe several places, maybe in all the places on the list. But God has not cast you out. Where there's repentance of these things and faith in the Lord Yeshua and trust in him and walking forward with him, you are washed, you are sanctified, and you are justified because of what he did for you. Thank you. Somebody said amen. Thank you. Now, Paul twice mentioned the kingdom of God in that verse, in that section. Did you notice it? And he used the term inherit the kingdom. Inherit the kingdom. An inheritance is something that's given to you. An inheritance of the kingdom. And he seemed to be stressing that if we persist in doing some of the evil deeds he's mentioned and listed in 1 Corinthians 6... Our own ongoing sinful action, underline the word ongoing, sinful actions show and prove our unworthiness of a holy kingdom inheritance. Unholy actions don't equate to holy inheritance. And if we persist doing those things, it's not going to be good for us. But repentance is critical to kingdom standing. As Kevin mentioned today, as he did the announcements, we've begun the month of Elul. And customarily in the Jewish community, the month of Elul is a time of preparation and getting ready for the High Holy Days. And those of you who are familiar with uh, some of the liturgy of the High Holy Days, some of what is done on the High Holy Days, you realize that there are really some knockdown, drag-out things that are talked about. The Alchet prayer, I guess it is. Concerning all sin, where we repeat in there, hallelujah for our Messiah. 
because there's hope for every one of us here today. And by the way, every person you're ever going to meet can come to know Yeshua through repentance and faith in him. Number nine, number seven, number eight, easy one. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What I will simply say about that, if you're self, selfish, self-willed, self-inclined, be careful. Hopefully red lights are going off inside of you spiritually. This is not acceptable. It's not suitable before a holy God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And number nine, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and this translation says, and conveyed us, like a conveyor belt's the idea, and conveyed us, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. How many are glad for the delivering power of our God? I am. I am ever thankful for that. And God's kingdom involves our deliverance from the power of darkness. And it's a struggle sometimes. We have to keep pressing on and forgetting what lies beyond and pressing on in our Messiah. And what does God love? Well, in this case, it says, the Son of His love the son of his love. And lastly, we'll conclude 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. This kingdom statement, notice it at the end of, of verse 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, and he had previously listed many things, I encourage you to read 2 Peter chapter 1. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. How long will his kingdom persist? It's an everlasting kingdom. So there's no way you can get around him. <laughs> He's the Lord and we must reckon with him personally. Right now is the time to get right with him and remain right with him. Right now is the time to turn away from sinfulness. And if you're, if you're struggling with that sin that so easily besets us, which is uh, no temptation has come upon you, with, uh, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with every temptation give you a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that. Now, back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And we'll conclude with this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Notice what it says. This is Daniel. Some to everlasting life. Do you remember that statement? Yeshua said, he who believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Did he just pull that out of the... No. This was something that God had been revealing and comes to its absolute fruition in Yeshua the Messiah. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Friends, what will await you when you awake? That's a big question. A very big question. Now and then, the way we are conducting ourselves now in this life, the then and the now, the now and the then, the way we're conducting ourselves now in this life will have an impact on the then when we have to stand before the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for this Shabbat. Thank you for meeting us. Thank you, Lord, for mercy that knows no bounds. Thank you for receiving us in our struggles and giving us victory and new areas of victory. 
your word is clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin, the just reward of our sins is death. And yet your word is also abundantly clear that in Messiah Yeshua, we have eternal life, that we have a great inheritance from you through faith in your son and what he did for us. Lord, I pray for each person hearing these words that your name will be glorified in our lives, that you will help us so that we might shine brightly in the midst of this generation, that we might be deemed faithful even by those that are on the outside, even as Daniel was deemed faithful, deemed to be a faithful person by those around him. Lord, I pray that you will be with us. Again, thank you for everyone here today, Lord. And thank you for your blessing on their lives, your provision, and especially your peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.